recycled the wrong one this morning. So good thing it was still in the recycle bin. This better be a good sermon. Let's pray again. <laughs> Let's pray over the right sermon this time. Oh, Lord, you are full of compassion, slow to anger, and full of steadfast love, and we thank you for it. We pray for the presence of your Holy Spirit right now. We pray that you use these words, these poor human words, to bring your divine word to your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, that's the first time that's happened. Well, it's the second time, but I got to the sermon ahead of <laughs> before I actually preached it. Uh, but here we are, week four of our sermon series on the book of Jonah. In chapter one, Jonah was called to tell the wicked city of Nineveh to change their ways, and he hopped on an escape boat in the opposite direction, but he couldn't run away from God. God sent a hurricane, and then the sailors threw him overboard, but then God sent a great fish to swallow him up. And just when Jonah thought that he was destined for digestion, <laughs> oh, yeah. See, it was worth it. It was worth this other sermon, the good sermon, had the good joke in it. Then God had the fish spit him out, barf him up, essentially, on the shore. And there it was, off on the horizon, Nineveh, the great city that he tried to run away from in the first place, just sitting on the horizon, waiting for him to come and preach. Jonah tried his best to run away from God, tried to run away from his vocation, but God caught up to him and brought him to Nineveh the hard way. There was no escape. So Jonah, worn down by God, this week finally gives in. God repeats the same call that he gave to Jonah in chapter 1, and Jonah finally goes to Nineveh. He finally does what he's told, and it works out. It works like a charm, really. He shouts out that the city is going to be overturned in 40 days, carrying this message from one end of the great city to the other. And soon enough, the king of Nineveh hears the message, and he passes an executive order. You know, Biden's out there writing all his executive orders. Here, the king of Nineveh passes an executive order instructing the whole city to repent, to change their minds and mend their wicked ways. They're to fast, they're to abstain from food and water, and they're to put on sackcloth, cover themselves in ashes as a sign of this transformed life. And they even deck out their livestock with the, with the same gear. You know, I love this image. I mean, I just imagine, you know, like a little sheep with a burlap sack around it, you know, saying, bye, repent, something like that. It's really funny. The king orders the city to repent in hopes that the God who sent Jonah will repent too, will change her mind by not leveling the city on account of its sins. And it works. It works. They repent. They change their minds. And God does too. God decides not to burn the whole place to the ground. God spares the city. Jonah finally does what he's told, and it all works out quite remarkably. He preached 
she preaches to Nineveh, they repent and they're saved. The whole thing goes off without a hitch, really. I mean, see, Jonah, that wasn't so hard. You know, it's too bad that we had to send a storm, had to send a big fish. But see, it was just easy once you got in there and started saying things. Now, we generally know the story of Jonah, if we know it at all, from the passage that we heard last week, the passage that we've been singing from uh, last week, the part where Jonah was in the belly of the big fish. And one of the reasons that we know that passage, that story so well, and not this one, is because being eaten by a whale or a big fish, surviving for a few days, and then getting rocketed out on the exact right place seems pretty fantastical to us. It's what fairy tales are made of. It's the kind of thing we hear in the Bible and think, yeah, no, probably not, right? Stuff like that can't happen. It's impossible, right? You know what's more impossible than getting swallowed by a giant fish and surviving and getting spit out, though? This chapter is more impossible than that story. The repentance of Nineveh is truly impossible. And here's why. In the first sermon I, in this series, I pointed out that the city of Nineveh sounds like just another dot on an ancient Far East map, you know, might as well be Sumer or Moab or Ur. But remember Nineveh is the capital city of Assyria, one of history's most brutal empires. These guys invaded Jonah's homeland, wiping out 12, 10 of the 12 original tribes of Israel. They raised cities and killed civilians. They didn't pull down Jerusalem, but they did siege it. They're the kind of people who hung the mutilated bodies of their enemies on their pyramids. The great Hebrew scholar, if you remember, I quoted him the first sermon too, the Great Hebrew Bible scholar Robert Alter says that Jonah heading to Nineveh is like a Jew wandering into Berlin circa 1935-36. And just telling them that the whole thing's going to come down, so they got to switch gears, right? So picture this. Picture this when you picture the story of Jonah and Nineveh. Picture this. Lone Jew preaches from one end of Berlin to the other. And upon hearing the news, Hitler repudiates anti-Semitism, orders the swastika outlawed, and disarms the Wehrmacht. If you don't know what that is, look it up. <laughs> history geek, that was a history geek Easter egg for you. Germany then isn't reduced to rubble by bombs, but instead becomes a global advocate for peace. Or picture this instead, Ukrainian Kulak preaches his way through Moscow to the Kremlin, and Stalin says, I'm sorry for the famine. And after stepping down, implements immediate free, fair elections. The Berlin Wall's never built. The Soviet Union never falls and instead flourishes as an economic powerhouse. It's like that. Thanks to Jonah's preaching, this whole militaristic, murderous society bent on violence and destruction repents with a dictator just waving to the crowd from his we were wrong day parade float. They turn from their wicked ways 
on a dime and they're transformed. The society's completely turned around. So if you think that a great fish is the implausible thing in this story, then you need to read this chapter. Because the miracle, real miracle, the real miracle here is the repentance and transformation of Nineveh. The repentance of Nineveh is the true miracle in this story. And of course, you know, from our vantage point, it makes a fine ideal, a heartwarming dream. But we live in the real world, a world of sin and violence and selfishness. It's hard enough for us to make a change like that, let alone whole societies and cultures. This is why we feel so anxious all the time about the future on so many fronts. Change on this scale just doesn't happen. You might be wiser on betting on getting swallowed by a great fish for three days. You know, we're just like the song. We're on a highway to Sheol. If you, <laughs> another geeky thing, highway to Sheol. No stop signs, speed limits, no going back, right? Right. It's true. It's the way that life generally goes. Things like this don't end well. It's just the truth. But before you start contacting, you know, officials in the United Church of Canada with your worries about Reverend Ryan, that he's taken a suspiciously dark turn, before you do that, let me tell you why we can be hopeful, right? Why we can be hopeful. Note I said hopeful, which is different than optimistic. Optimism says that things will work out good inevitably, but hope is the ability to cling to the good even if circumstances say otherwise. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, a conviction of things not seen. Hope comes in the face of a sober assessment of reality in spite of it all, in spite of the way that things are. By all accounts in the story, Nineveh should have been destroyed. Laws of cause and effect suggest it was destined to be an archaeological ruin at best. If not crushed by divine fireballs from up above, it should have, been bu should have buckled under its own weight. But it says here that God spares the city by the incredible mercy and forgiveness of God. The city is delivered through his divinely appointed messenger. The inevitable here is averted. Even the most destructive and depraved human society isn't left to its own devices because there's another agent at work. One who is hidden, but nonetheless the ultimate master 
of history. Here a divine spoke spoke is jammed into the wheel, the never-ending wheel of fate by one who isn't hemmed in by the ironclad rules of cause and effect. One who makes the inevitable, evitable. The one who makes the impossible a possibility. And of course, I'm referring to the God of grace, the God we meet in Jesus Christ. The message here is that because of the living God, the world isn't on its own. Which means that change is possible. And not even the most heinous people and societies are ultimately fated to destruction. But they can be turned around. They can repent, which is what repentance means, to turn away, turn around, change one's mind. They can be saved we can be saved. Which means as disciples of Jesus, we need not give in to pessimism or be naively optimistic either. But we can be hopeful because we trust the world is in the hands of the Lord of heaven and earth. The one who is compassionate compassionate and gracious, abounding in steadfast love and slow to anger. The one who desires mercy, not punishment, and whose will is not death, but life for all creation. Which brings me to our role in this whole thing, this whole endeavor of God. And by our, I mean the church, disciples of Jesus Christ, those of us called in baptism and sent by the power of the Holy Spirit. Our role is unique for the sake of the world. You'll notice that this transformation for Nineveh isn't accomplished in the way that we'd expect. There's no call to arms. There's no storming of the Bastille, nor, you know, congressional coup, no grabbing of the reins of power. There's no Twitter campaign, There's no big protests, no re-education camps, no legislative agenda. It's all accomplished by the sovereign word given to Jonah. Even when the king signs his executive order, you remember? He's like, yes, we'll all repent. It's a byproduct of the change that's already bubbled up in Nineveh, delivered first as a response, in response to Jonah's holy speech. in spite of his own limitations. Our role is in receiving the message that we've been given and sharing it with the world. I know with the United Church congregation, oh, just don't say that word evangelism. E, don't say the thing about sharing, please. It's just, we don't wanna be those people, but it's in there. It's part of our vocation. It's not about being over people or controlling people, but as good news shared, spoken person to person, 
block to block, like Jonah making that patient pilgrimage across the city of Nineveh from one end to the other, bringing hope in spite of our own limitations. Proclaiming the divine pardon for sin and the transformation that's possible in the light of God's great love for creation on the cross and in his resurrection. Trusting that though we may not overturn Nineveh in a matter of days, it's how God has promised to renew all things, no matter the cost, no matter how long it takes. So, brothers and sisters, while the existence of a great fish is hard enough to swallow, <laughs> the rep- <laughs> somebody just said terrible. <laughs> the repentance of Nineveh is the true test of faith the transformation of a spiritually devastated society and the healing of our broken world. That is the true miracle in the story of Jonah. And if this text from Jonah gives us a glimpse of the truth beyond our conventional wisdom, beyond our cold, hard evidence, beyond our cynicism and our sadness, then it means all is never lost because God plans to prosper and not to harm, plans to give hope and a future. Those no less days to sing God's praise than when we'd first begun. This is the miracle that our lives depend on. So may we repent of our cynicism and believe in the great good news. May we be given the grace to believe it and the courage to speak it from one end of the great city to the other. Amen. Will you please sing with me? Come let us sing, let us, come let us to the God of love voices united 653 with words by John Morrison from 1781 and music adapted with by William Gardner's Sacred Melodies in 1812. So it's an oldie. Let us sing.
Cheers.